We're actually going to be going through the book of Daniel throughout the summer and looking at the story of it. And this morning, um, when you look at the story of Daniel, maybe you know a lot of the stories in it. Maybe you know the story of the lion's den or when Daniel's friends were thrown into the furnace and God protected them. That Those are legendary children's ministry stories of that nature. But there's more to the story of Daniel. There's more to what happens in this book than just those stories about highlighting amazing things God did through this one man and his friends. That it's a picture of even um, what God was doing in his story. It was a picture of what God could do when a people were outside of their own comfort zone. When people were truly a minority. When people were being oppressed. What God can do through those circumstances. It's, one of, it's a very interesting book as well because it is a story that um, highlights this man named Daniel. But the book itself, here's what's interesting about it. Think about this for a minute. The first part of the book is written in um, Aramaic, which is a Middle Eastern language. But the second half of the book is written in Hebrew. It's written in a completely different language because they had different audiences. The Aramaic was written to the people of the day to show what God was doing amongst them. But the Hebrew was written because it was targeted towards the Jewish people of what God did. So that would be like this. It would be like a book that would be written in, think of any foreign language you want. Think of Aramaic now, written to Muslims, the first half of the book. And then think of English for the second half to be written, you know, maybe to us. That's what's so interesting about this book because it it targets different people. Yet, it's the same story of what God's doing. Amen? This book isn't just about Daniel. It's not just about his friends. It's about God. And although there are many different characters throughout the story, ultimately it comes back to what God was doing. And ultimately as well, the theme of it is that God is king overall and that nations will come and go, but God's kingdom will reign forever. And so I want to read through the, the text that we're going to be going out of this morning. If you want to start in verse 1 with me, this is what it says. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and he put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service." Among those who were chosen from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And then if you look at verse 17, it, it also describes them. To these four young men, God gave them knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Can we say amen to God's word? We always say amen to his word because it's good and it's true. One of the things when you look at this, and you even look at the first part of this book, that I just 
really appreciate about the Bible, one of the many things that I do appreciate, is that the Bible doesn't shy away from difficult situations and difficult topics. The Bible isn't just a book that's full of rules that talks about perfection. It doesn't just highlight the glorious parts um, of what it means to follow Jesus and who God is and how just, oh, it doesn't paint it in a wrong picture, but rather it shows that when you walk with God that there are good times and there are hard times, that this life really can be difficult, um, that humanity really is humanity, that humanity does make mistakes, amen? A lot of mistakes. And in that, what you see right from the beginning is that it states in the very first two verses about that in the third year of the reign of the king of Judah at that time, that Nebuchadnezzar, this, this king of Babylon, this other nation, came into Israel and besieged it and took people away into exile and took articles from the temple of God, the place where they would go to worship the Lord because his presence was there in that place. You see a takeover right from the beginning of the scripture. And it wasn't just something that happened by accident. Because when you look through the entire story of God's story in the Bible, even back when, you, many of you guys know the story of the Exodus, where God called the Israelites out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and gave them the promised land. God gave them commands. And one of the things that he said to them was that, I'm calling you to be a light to the nations. And if you disobey and if you turn away, eventually, if your hearts are so hard and you won't turn back to me, I'm going to remove that place. I'm going to remove that influence that you have. And so what happens here is just that. They had been sinning for generations beyond generations. Dozens of kings and leaders had turned away from the Lord and led the people in the same things. And the very people that were meant to guide the nations to the Lord were actually the ones at the forefront leading them away from it. And so what you see happening right in the very two, first two verses, it says the Lord delivered this. That this happened right from the beginning. And when you even look at kind of the situation that surrounded it, of all the places that could have besieged Jerusalem, it wasn't like Israel was the holiest nation and then Babylon was the second holiest nation. That wasn't the case of it. Babylon was wicked. And the way I would describe it is if Vegas and New Orleans had a baby, it would be Babylon. It was something not looked upon in Scripture. Don't ever name your kid Babylon because it's not looked well upon. In fact, at the end times in Revelation, it refers to wicked people in wicked cities as Babylon. So don't name your kid Babylon or Jezebel. Amen? You don't want to do that. It's this people that were defined by their wickedness. And Nebuchadnezzar, the one who would lead it, and as you'll see through this book, as the one coming forward and besieging it. In fact, what it says is that there were three different times where he came in and brought people out and exiled. And that the third time, he literally burned down the temple. In fact, he oppressed the people so bad, murdering them, causing them to starve to death. God's people in just a wickedness that was just rampant and so... When you enter into this story and you enter in and you take the place of someone like Daniel and you're watching this nation that God has called to be a light to the nations just, one, deteriorate on the inside because they weren't following him, but then ultimately get overthrown by a wicked people, you might question, you might question where God is in it. Amen? You might have a question of God, what are you doing right now? Amen? Oh, come on. We can be louder than that. Amen? You might have a question or two. 
Daniel was someone that knew the Lord and was living in this promised land. And in his life, he was escorted out in this exile. What the word says is that he lived in Babylon for 65 years. That's a long time to be out of the promised land and living in exile. And this is why I would just say it's so important because how many of you ever felt like God has abandoned you in your life? How many of you ever had a time in your life where you wondered where God was in light of something that happened? How many of you have seen something? Maybe, maybe there's something going on in your family. Maybe you saw your parents separate. Maybe you're constantly in a situation that's just hard on you from a brother or a sister. Maybe you're, you're seeing something happen at school and you say, God, why? God, why is this happening right now? Maybe you're struggling with something and you feel like you can't overcome it. And you're like, God, why? Why, God? If anyone could relate to you in that, it's Daniel in this story, which makes it so significant in this place. See, he knew the Lord and he was in a place where I'm sure that it crossed his mind what had happened and why was this happening. I know that from my own life, there were several times and still are several times where I ask myself, God, where are you in this? I don't have understanding in my life. It doesn't mean God isn't there. It doesn't mean God isn't working. But it does mean that we come to these places where we feel like we're exiled. Amen? But I want you to notice something about this story that's so important that will dictate the rest of this, this summer as we go through it. Because you look at all the things that are happening it seems like it's going downhill. It seems like we've been overtaken by a wicked nation and now we're serving in their land. And it's because of our own sin that it happened. But one thing you have to realize, we read the first two verses of Daniel, not the last two. What that means is this. This is the beginning of God's story in this people. It's not the end. See, it could be easy to look at this and go, well, that's it. When, when things go downhill, that's the end of it. That's the end of what God was supposed to do. And now I'm on my own. But, but what God does through Daniel is that things are just starting when everything seems lost, when all hope seems lost. From that video that we watch, you see people who have gone into nations that have long been abandoned or places where people would look at it and say, surely God could never be in this place anymore. And what God does is he does something new. That God brings about something so great in the seemingly most hopeless places. And it's the same for our own lives as well. Because nations rise and fall. Babylon rose and Israel was falling. But Daniel knew there was more going on than meets the eye. And the truth of the matter is this. That God does his best works when we seek him fully. And God does his absolute best works when it seems like he's up against the ropes. God does his absolute best works when it seems hopeless for his story. God, where could God be in this? But actually, that's just when he's getting started. Amen? Brian Johnson, the pastor at Bethel, says, Consider it a gift when God becomes your only option. Consider it a gift when the only option that you have is God in your life because that's when he's truly going to work best in you and through you. Amen? God does his absolute best when his back's against the wall. I think it's so interesting um, looking at this story because it's a story of Christianity in a sense. You know, it's funny because when Jesus rose from the dead and he said, I'm going to send my spirit and on you guys I'm going to build my church. That was 
close to 2,000 years ago that that happened. And over the last 2,000 years, nations have risen and nations have fallen, but God's church has continued to move. In fact, there's an interesting story in Acts chapter 5 where two of, the, um, two of the disciples were brought before the Pharisees and the rulers of the day. And the Pharisees and the rulers were so mad at him for preaching Jesus that they wanted to stop them. And it says that there was this, this man of wisdom. His name was Gamaliel, which, speaking of people you're not going to name your kids after, Gamaliel was someone who said, wait, guys. He says, and he dismissed them because he wanted to talk to them personally. And he said, you know what? He says, my advice to you would be to let them go. Don't try to oppress them and don't try to stop them because if they're not of God, they're going to die off. They're not going to last. We've seen what he even says is he names these movements of the day that were quote-unquote religious movements that died away. But he says, but if God's with them, if God's with that church, you will not be able to stop them. And now 2,000 years later, it was about 120 disciples that met together where the Holy Spirit dropped And now today, it's estimated that there are 2.2 billion Christians. So you see God moving in a magnificent and mighty way. In fact, one of my favorite stories, um, Holly, can you put up the picture of the the church from China, if it's up there? Um, China is such an interesting story when you look at um, the things that God did through it. One of the things that happened in 1949 is that a lot of religious laws were put in to ban religions in a mainstream way. And so basically what that meant is this. They tried to exterminate Christianity on a widespread. They tried to exterminate it. Anyone who publicly preached, they would jail them. They would search for people. They would have to sneak the Bible around. In a way, it would be referred to as the church had to go underground from the government. And it says that at that time, in 1949, Chinese Christians numbered approximately 3.8 And now today, after all that oppression, it's estimated over 100 million Christians reside in China. And so let me ask you something. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Jeff. Because they were oppressed, all circumstances were put against them, and yet they grew. Why is that? It's because God's Spirit works absolutely best against the ropes. It's because God's Spirit isn't dictated by the nation that it's in. God's spirit isn't dictated by the circumstances that you're in. Nations will come and go. Cultures themselves will come and go. But God's kingdom and his culture, those remain forever. And it ultimately means that this, it's a matter of hope, not just a matter of knowing. Because we know a lot of things, right? How many of you know everything in this room? How many of you know something? Oh, you know something. How many of you know nothing? But there's a difference between knowing God and hoping in God. In fact, as it said in the Bible, it says that hope is when we hope in the Lord, he renews our strength. It says that we're called in a way to hope in him and to look to a better future in him. And so what is your hope in? I'm not asking you this morning. God isn't asking you what you know. God is asking you what you hope in. And the difference between knowing something is like, it's having something kind of just there. I know this. It's, it's a part of who I am. But hope is the very thing that's holding you up. If you don't have that, you're going to fall apart. Hope is the thing that keeps you standing and the thing that keeps you alive. It's where you put all your eggs in one basket. It's where you trust everything, where 
the easiest way to see what you hope in is by simply removing it and seeing what happens. If you fall apart, it's probably something that you hope in. Amen? And that's not just true of kingdoms necessarily, but it's also true of us personally and individually as well. You know, one thing about the story that I love is that when it refers to things like kingdoms, it talks a lot about kingdoms and nations, but it's not just about nations around the world. It is, but it's also something to us personally as well. And I want to talk about this because kingdoms in a way can reflect the very beliefs, the strongholds, the circumstances by which you build your life on as well. Amen. What that means is this, maybe a kingdom in a sense to you is the way you dress. Maybe you put a lot of emphasis on the way you dress. Maybe that's where you put your hope in is how you look. Maybe it's in your social media. Maybe it's in your circumstances. Maybe it's in the people that are, you would call close friends or the people that like you at school. Maybe it could be very well your family. Things like that of that nature. And what's interesting about that is that it's not saying that those things are bad, but what it's saying is, you know, there are things that rise and fall in this world, but there's only one that remains that you turn to and look at, and that's God. And so in the same way, when you look at this story, it's, it's not just a story of hope, it's a story of identity. It's who you put your trust in over who you are. It's not just putting your hope in something, but putting your hope in who you are, and who you call Lord, and who you call King in your life. Because ultimately, there's nothing more powerful than the thing in your life that you call your King. In fact, one of the greatest, how many of you would say you're competitive? Anyone? <laughs> no. There's no greater competition in the universe right now than for whoever is King of your life. There's no greater competition going on right now. There's no greater battle. There's no greater war going on right now than for who gets to be the king of your life and the king of your heart. It's true. God would go to any length to become the Lord of your life, including giving his only begotten son to die for you, to forgive you of your sins so you could enter into that place where he could be king of you. And in that, when you look at the story, you see Daniel coming to a place of identity and even questioning his identity by the culture that's around him because Daniel's circumstances definitely took a turn for the worst. Amen? How many of you are thankful God didn't put you in Daniel's shoes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It took a turn for the worst, and he was put under a pressure by the culture to change. And when you look at this, it said that the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to choose out these particular men, which included Daniel and his friends, to become a part and assimilated into the culture. Now, this is what made Babylon so sneaky. This is what made them so strong. This is why it continued to grow, because Babylon didn't take Daniel and his friends. They didn't take people and start whipping them. They didn't start taking them and say, you need to start building, and we're going to break your spirit until you do whatever we want to do. You want to know what they did? They said... Put on some nice clothes. Come to the king's table. Eat from the king's table. Hey, you want to learn literature? Come learn from us. Let us teach you. Let us educate you. They wined and dined them. And they would be exposed to this culture and they would go, this is great! <laughs> like, and then all of a sudden their loyalty was won over by 
simply just saying, look at how amazing we are. You know, the truth of the matter is we live in a world that does the exact same thing. We don't have a world that necessarily whips us over the back and tries to break our spirit. But we have one that says, no, come look. Come eat from our table for a little bit and see how amazing it is. And that's how it tries to change our heart. But what you see in this story, even through it, is that that was how they trained for three years. And then they would become a part of the culture. And then you have this picture of these four young men. God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel was given a spiritual gift of being able to see visions and understand dreams as well. See, even amidst it, God was at work. And in the midst of this, a culture that said, eat from this table, act this way, become like the people around you, become like this culture, make your identity in Babylon, become one of Nebuchadnezzar's servants. That's who you're called to be. Daniel and his friends knew that they were called by God, even though the circumstances were completely different from around them. And I think it's true the same thing of the world that we live in as well. Because in a way, you can look at this world and call it Babylon because our kingdom is one that's not of this world. Amen? We live in a world that tells us that we're something that we know we're not in the Lord. You're not forgiven. You're, you have to earn your way to matter in this world. You should partake in the things of this world. You should care about these things. And then God comes along and says, but that's not what I say about you. This is who you are. And you're different from the culture around you. I'm your light, and I'm the light through you as well. See, God has called us to something so much greater than to put our hope in this world. In fact, Proverbs 11.7 says, Hopes placed in mortals die with them. All the promise of their power comes to nothing. And you know what? That's true of so many things of the world. When we try and put our identity in the world around us, it ultimately dies with it when it dies as well. But the thing about God and the thing about his love for you is that it remains forever. See, this is why it's so important. I'm going to ask you guys to close your Bibles. And Maggie, if you want to come back up. See, this is one of the things about Jesus that's so powerful because what God did on the cross wasn't a temporary, it wasn't a worldly work that he did. The forgiveness that God has for you, the love that he has for you, isn't something that just lasts for, for a time and time for a season, but it lasts forever if you're willing to put your hope in it. And in the same way, if you say, but God, I want to put my hope in this, but God, I want to go after these things, you're welcome to, but it, your hope's going to die with those things because seasons come and go, but God remains the same forever. God and what he says about you can give you the confidence to stand in who you are, to know that you're forgiven and that you're his child you can be, he will give you strength, he'll give you life, he'll give you joy and peace, even if the circumstances don't seem that way. Because what you see in this story is you see a man named Daniel, seems like everything around him, hope is lost, and yet here's a man full of hope. Everything is falling apart around him, but Daniel isn't. World is wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed every day by him. That's what you see in Daniel. And I think many of us in this room, how many of you want peace in this room? How many of you would like peace knowing who you are in this world? Because that's what God wants for you. And when you call Jesus as your Savior, calling Jesus as your Lord, that's what he gives to you. 
Because God understands that this peace that will always last doesn't come when circumstances around you are perfect. But God understands that true peace that will always last comes from the peace that he gives straight to you. And he wants to give you that through Christ. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes with me. Maybe you're here this morning and you know Jesus. Maybe you even call on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but it's but hope hasn't been renewed. Maybe you haven't been relying on him. Maybe he's not the hope of your life. Maybe he's slowly become just something to know while you go about hoping in other things. And this morning, maybe you're feeling that tug on your heart to make him your hope, not these worldly things around you that won't last. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. God is saying thank you. God is rejoicing over you for coming to him. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never called on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've known of Jesus. Maybe you've heard of Jesus. But you never heard him in this way and knew him in this way and that. He's a God that loves you and died for you so that you could be forgiven and enter into his kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever. That's you. I want to pray with you because if you just say yes to Jesus and that, you're his forever and always. What he gives to you when you say yes to him can never be taken away. That it endures forever when you call on him. So God, we come this morning and we, we, God, we just acknowledge something before you. We acknowledge that the things of this world come and go as great as they are. But Lord, you remain forever. God, we know that there are so many things battling for the king of our heart. Lord, we, we acknowledge there's so many things that are battling for our identity, but those are just worldly things and they die and our hope dies with those things, but our hope in you will never die. In fact, your word says that hope rises even more when we trust in you day after day. So God, we love you. Lord, we trust in you. We praise you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. And everyone said, amen.